1: the award-winning Crunch Crunch Time. time. How to go about this. Places the kick. And Riccardi leads up into the pocket. Tough shot coming, though. Two behinds and one out on the full, Jake Riccardi. From the juncture of 50 in the boundary, let's fly. Oh, wow. What a moment to arrive with the abyss. They don't really have any timber there. And Toby Green just stood in the pack and took the mark. The Giants captain, who has led so magnificently through the season, can book his team's place in the preliminary final. And he does just that.
2: And the sirens about to sound. GWS have booked a date with Collingwood at the MCG next week. 13, 15, 93 to 9, 16, 70 at the Adelaide Oval.
3: The Orange Tsunami rolls into a preliminary final under Adam Kingsley. They're in any place, any time kind of club. And now the giant task is to beat Collingwood at the G. Isaac coming to join us in the second hour to unpack all the action from Adelaide Oval.
4: Plenty
1: of time for a twist in this tale yet. Long kick, top of the fifty. Up they fly. Ball force to the back. bowie has got it. Kerner wraps him up. Dockerty, Boglup. Here's the goal. Got it. Look out. Epic finish coming. Dockerty gets loose on the wing. McVeigh trying to close. Dockerty brave as can be. Marks and plays on. Has a bounce. Kicks to full forward. Up goes. He goes. Goal. Oh, goal. Hit the front, inside the final minutes. Straight up the middle, Melbourne go, Rivers launches. The Carlton gods must be crazy. This mad, wild ride. The Blues are going to take it all the way to the preliminary final. Every Melbourne player flat out on the ground. The Demons have done in straight sets. It's a night the Navy Blues will talk about forevermore.
3: The MCG and Ligon Street were rocking as Carlton manufactured the most satisfying of wins. As for the Ds, a straight sets exit two years in a row. So is Simon Goodwin maximising this list? And will this group fulfil its potential and win a grand final at the MCG?
1: do gather though now under a pall of sadness and with a chance to pay tribute, our game having lost one of its most revered figures, a legend by every measure and a man who can be regarded as the icon of Australian football, Ron Barassi.
5: He wanted to take those challenges on and he did that several times in his life. I mean, when he even went back to Melbourne when, when they were a hopeless case and he went to Sydney when it looked like a lost cause. So... He just believed, I think he believed in himself, but I think he believed he had a responsibility to do that for the future of the game. We said before the match
1: 100 minutes, at half-time 60, and now it's only 25. We've come too far, let us slip now. That is not to say we go defensive, though. We're still keeping this bloody pressure up. It's never been kept up before in the history of North Melbourne.
3: And Valer Ron Barassi, the football world has lost one of its greatest sons, an icon passing away at 87. Hassam,an to talk us through his legacy. This is the semi-final edition of Sunday Crunch Time. A very warm welcome to Sunday Crunch Time. Sarah Ollie here with Tom Morris and Scott Lucas. As we unpack two ripping semi finals, AFLW boss Nicole Livingston, our special guest this hour. Tom, good morning. We are down to four.
6: Down to four. And next week, this time, we'll be down to two.
3: Crazy. Which
7: is
6: very exciting. Um, every week we come in and there's so much to talk about. Mostly good this week, but also clearly sad with the passing of Ron Barassi and some amazing articles today in both papers about um, the former. Carlton and Melbourne champion he also coached North Melbourne and the Sydney Swans as well so I look forward to chatting to Husser late later about that but the footy has been engrossing last night was amazing I take my Melbourne hat off which I can do now <laughs> and Friday night was entirely captivating as well
3: because you did the D's call didn't you
6: did the D's call how was that <laughs> as you can hear my voice <laughs> uh Lily Mithen and Russell Robertson were alongside me and it was it was heartbreaking at the end i uh, if I'm going to be honest, I'm not an int- a complete D's naffy not like a, what I was when I was a kid, but I re it up for the call and I was entirely invested in it. And to lose that way when you are supporting your team was heartbreaking. So that was difficult, but I enjoyed it.
3: Well, I enjoyed listening to you and you getting your, your nuff on, Tom. Good morning, Scotty.
5: Morning, uh, Sarah. Great weekend of football mm. once again, isn't it? I mean, mm. the G – well, the games that have been played at the G have been – Been simply incredible, both based on the football, but the crowd and the support that's there for it. Uh, Huge games this week, isn't it? And and both of those teams, I think, will take in a level of confidence. I mean, it's the if you look at Carlton and the Giants, and I think it's the first time in quite a while that those teams, the the top four, have gone out in straight sets. But it's really unique if you look at Carlton and the Giants. In isolation, there is the form teams of the second half of the year, yet they couldn't force their way into the top four, which I think will give both teams enormous hope going in, perhaps more than externally, we'll think. But internally, they're really on a roll, playing good football, games in order makes uh, for a wonderful pair of games this weekend.
6: The first time since 2014,
5: Sarah. Mm, yes,
3: that was Fremantle and Geelong, I think, it back was. then. It was. The yeah. two
6: teams had lost in straight sets from the top four and it just shows, again, that if you time your run right, that you are a red-hot chance and that's what the Giants well, have done.
5: And we've seen and it in, in time. I mean, I saw in the paper today, Jimmy Bartell talking about 08. Hawthorne timing their run. Mm. The Bulldogs timing their run. There is an element and it is the nature of the marathon, not the sprint that those two teams, uh, particularly Carlton, the Giants, timing their run yep. gives you a chance. If you're, your house is in order when the whips are cracking, you're a chance.
6: And lots of examples of teams not timing their run going, huh. I don't know if you can go too hard too early. You can only win the game if they're in front of you. But I think back to... Uh, St Kilda in 2009, unbelievable team for the first 16 or 17 rounds and still an amazing team, but not quite the same. I think of Melbourne last year. what
3: Adelaide this year, Adelaide 13 this year. in a row.
6: Yeah. Um, I don't know how you get around that because you want to win every game you play, mm. but clearly you want to be at your best at the end of the season.
5: Yeah, it is a challenge. I mean, for Port, I think there's... There's real circumstances around availability. If you looked at the changes they made in the last month or five weeks, I think when they started that first loss after 13 or 14 in a row, there were seven changes. And they almost never got it back after that through no fault of their own. Um, And with Melbourne, there's just that glaring area of their game that they acknowledge but continues to hurt them.
3: All right. Let's get into our semi-final edition of the Sunday Snaps. Tom, I'm looking at you.
6: Thank you. I'm looking at you and Scotty. Blake Akers <laughs> is my snap. Um, Blake Acres was the stake knives yes. in a deal that allowed Bradley Hill to get from Fremantle to St Kilda at the end of 2019. So he went back to the Dockers. And he was a very late addition to this deal. They couldn't quite unlock how they were going to get Hill, who was contracted to St Kilda. Colin Young also managed Blake Acres. He called him when he was at the gym and said, would you think about going back to Perth? And Blake Acres was not keen. Mm. He was happy to stay at St Kilda. He was contracted. He'd played 75 games. He ended up agreeing to it. Went to Freo for a couple of years. Not a great run at the Dockers, but he played two very good finals last year. And then this year at Carlton, after being traded for a third-round pick, a fantastic first final, probably best on ground against the Swans, certainly close. And then on Friday night, not as prolific in terms of disposal, Scotty, but two goals, and the second goal, and Jared Waitley called it well, the closest association of that second goal to me was Nick Davis against Geelong, a late goal from a player running through and winning the game for a team in a semi-final. I know Sarah likes to remember the Nick Davis goal.
3: Yes, I do, yeah. indeed.
6: So, Blake Akers is, is the snap. I love these stories of these players that are are really um, nondescript players in the most polite
5: possible way. Lesser lights. Lesser lights. But he was still a first-round draft pick, top 20 draft pick. Specific role, though, identified by Carlton, I think, from mm. a fair way out. So, although they only gave up the, fir- the third rounder, I think they saw incredible value in him. And I reckon it adds, for me... And it was a great snap, as we discussed before coming on. It it was the snap I would have had also. Tall wingers. Mm. Not everyone has them, but gee, they're valuable. Or wingers that can mark. We saw Mason Wood have his career best year on the wing. We saw Jasper Fletcher last week take two contested marks in the goal square and kick goals. That valuable hard running, hard running wing that pushes back to defend, but that can go forward and take a mark, and we saw basically Akers take two marks in the goal square as the fat side winger just working hard down. And if you, footy a game of inches, and that that role is so critical, and it's a great piece of recruiting by Carlton.
7: Mm.
3: Scotty, your Sunday snap.
5: Uh, Sam Doherty. Yeah. I mean, just. Uh, We go on and rightfully so about all that he's faced. I mean, the courage that he's shown to get back and play just with the illness and so forth is huge, uh, says a lot about his character. And football character is really critical. And we saw that on Friday night, the shoulder injury, shoulder popped out, goes off, puts it back in, away we go.
3: And he's part of that last piece of play that sets up the win as well. And as you say, he's had to overcome two um, testicular yeah, cancer battles huge. and so I guess a, a shoulder uh, like, injury is not really like, going to stop him is it?
5: No it's not it's like football oh yeah I'm just happy to be healthy football secondary but yeah there's a there's a character to their team that has just built so well uh, and a level of um, confidence and inner belief that can carry you a long way when things are rolling and we just saw that time and time again on Friday night when, when they looked gone. Yeah. Like, you know, doing some notes on Friday night, so many times, I, I, Melbourne are on top. Yeah. Melbourne are on top. and But they just never, as we will discuss, I'm sure, they never convert on top. On top is like the Giants last night, kick five in a row. bang, Blow it open. End it. And have Port chasing their backside all night to work their way into the game. But Melbourne aren't able to do that through scoreboard pressure. And I thought their connection was better, but their finishing was horrible. Yeah. Sarah, your snap.
3: My snap is Adam Kingsley. What a debut season for him in charge at the Giants. I went back to round 12, so the halfway mark of the season. The Giants were in 15th position. They were only above Hawthorne, North Melbourne and West Coast. And now they are in the final four. They're through to a preliminary final at the MCG against Collingwood. They have no fear. We've spoken about this, haven't we? They travel anywhere and they think they can win, and they have. So they've got that belief and they've got, I guess, the results to back that up. But is he the coach of the year, Adam Kingsley?
6: We have this discussion every week. Um, I'm not willing to say who the coach of the year is until after the grand final, but if you're going to name one now, I think he is.
5: Yes, I think so. If we look at it objectively, and to your point, they believe they can win because they have won anywhere, mm. 11 different venues, mm-hmm. 11 different different venues. They don't care. And I'm sure Collingwood would much prefer to be playing a Port Adelaide this week than a Giants, yeah. without question. Um, hard to argue he's not. If we look at the other teams in the top four, oh, well, Voss would have something to say about that. Because mm. if you did, you when you said you, where mm-hmm. the Giants were, I know Carlton were around about them. They <laughs> no,
3: were probably just one rung above them.
5: And the pressure on Voss has been far more intense not to say that internally Kingsley's trying to get things going, but I think those two are probably a bob of the head. But it's a great point. The, the,
6: the best thing about Adam Kingsley this year is that he has taken on the criticism and the feedback internally. And he's alluded to it publicly, but it was, apparently it was quite stinging internally.
5: Mm. He's intense.
6: and, and they didn't The like, stress ball. They didn't he's like it early. It. it wasn't working early. The mm. coach's box was dysfunctional. Um, the way that he was relaying the messages to the players wasn't getting through. And he was given very direct feedback by senior people at the club and he took it on board, which shows that he is he has great humility and also perspective. And I mm-hmm. think that that to me is, is his biggest win because that's allowed the, the team and the club to flourish because he's been able to accept that feedback.
5: You're quite right because often you'll hear of it, you know, I'll do it my way and fail my way. Mm. Like some, I think stubbornness is a consistent trait mm. amongst a lot of coaches and it's why they're very good. But being able to be open to that and adjust accordingly is a, a fantastic character t- trait that he clearly possesses.
6: And Sarah, no one has ever doubted his knowledge of the game. Mm. Like if, when he was at St Kilda as an assistant coach, his tactical nous was so highly rated. Richmond, highly rated. And now this week... Collingwood are playing against GWS in a prelim final and Kingsley came second to McRae for that job. So they yeah. were the last two for that mag- Magpies position. Kingsley came second for five jobs before he got the Giants gig, which just tells you, my people say, oh, how, do, how can Adam Uze get the Richmond gig? Because he's come second for two gigs. But sometimes it just needs the right opening to, to be available and Kingsley got that gig and he's doing so well. It's a good snap.
3: That's been the Saturday wrap for Werribee Izuzu Ute. Upgrade your old Ute into a D-Max now. They are paying top dollar for trade-ins. Plenty more to come on Sunday Crunch Time. Up next, Nicole Livingston joins us.
2: You're listening to Crunch Time. Crunch Time. Zito Power Tools. German design quality and innovation powering DIYers. All day, every day. Visit Berwick GWM Havel and test drive the GWM Canon CC. Part of the Berwick Motor Group. Deep inside 50 it goes, Collingwood came up with it, stolen by
1: Harris! And she slots it for her first! She pickpocketed the Collingwood defence, strolled into the open goal, and Melbourne have broken clear at Icon Park.
3: Well, the AFRW is absolutely flying in its eighth iteration. And we're going to chat to Nicole Livingston, the general manager of women's football, who's been good enough to give us some of her time. Nick, good morning. Good morning. How are you all going? Beautiful we, day. We are well. What a beautiful day for footy. And, and what a first three rounds we've had so far. What's been the highlight for you, Nick? The Swans getting their breakthrough victory. I
0: mean, scoring is is up. What have have you loved? (laughs) (laughs) I'm taking you love that one as well. I actually went to North Sydney and saw that. So um, doesn't Sydney love a big full forward? And Chloe Malloy really making a name for herself up there. Um, There's been plenty of action going on. I think um, increased scoring, increased goals, just the run and carry, the, the chains from the D50 to I50. It's just been fantastic footy. But it's also been great to see people getting around the Heartland venues and getting out to the footy. I'm going to RCA Park. You can hear I've got a little nose cold, so I'll be sitting by myself <laughs> up on the hill somewhere, keeping three metres away from everybody. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be a great day for, for being out at the Heartland venue. How have the crowds been so far, Nick? Yeah, really good. Um, We're still, I mean, this is the second season that we have um, played in this time frame. As you know, we nearly killed everybody in the industry during two seasons in one year last year. Um, So, yeah, I mean, obviously we'll take stock. We've we've put a really big effort into the marketing of uh, AFLW, into that new time frame. And we think it's the right time to start in the pre-finals buy for the men. Um, We still have um, some work to do, I think, with getting those men's supporters of the AFL competition when their team get bundled out to get themselves out of the fetal position and back up and happening for their women's team and stop feeling sorry for themselves because their women's team's up and going. Um, So hopefully with time, we'll we'll continue to convert more of those AFL fans as well.
6: Nicole, as the season presumably gets longer over the coming uh, years, do you anticipate that the starting of the season will remain where it is? Because... Clearly, if it gets longer, then it's going to finish towards Christmas. And I'm not sure whether that would be ideal.
0: So where we're at right now, obviously, with 10 and 4, uh, we think it's the ideal start because you look at the amount of coverage and the, uh, the bang that AFLW comes out with um, is, is right. But equally, uh, yeah, going into Christmas, New Year is, is probably not our preferred option. So all of that's uh, yet to be determined and being discussed, obviously, in the CBA that's taking place now. So, um, you know, we can talk about what the season length's going to be in the future. We can talk about where it's going to be. But, you know, we're, round, we're halfway through round three of the 2023 season and it's some fantastic football so sometimes you get a bit caught up in thinking about what it's going to be in the future and lose sight of actually enjoying what you've got right now.
6: Yeah okay so the CBA looks like it's not far away from being done have have you got an update for us on that?
0: I don't have an update because I'm respecting the process so (laughs) uh, we'll announce it when it's uh, complete and agreed to and um, those conversations as you know have been going on for quite some time there's a negotiating team for the AFL and a negotiating team for the AFLPA and They're doing their thing, as has been um, the way that it's been since AFLW has started.
3: Nicole, we've seen in the past lightning delay the start to an (laughs) AFLW game, but have you ever seen a snake delay the start to a game?
0: So can I just play out my fear with this as well? So yes, (laughs) we have GWS playing there, um, and it was an unseasonably hot day, 34 degrees my son plays baseball and that is where the Australian championships are every year in January. So I'm not sure I can go back to that. now. (laughs) No, look, I I mean, I I think it caught all of us a bit by surprise. Um, uh, I think I did see a text message amongst all of us going, it's another one for the file of you can't make this speed up. (laughs) Um, But, you know, it 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 delayed um, for, I think, about 20, 25 minutes. Um, Thankfully, there was a snake catcher on hand. Uh, and the snake was sunbaking, so uh, <laughs> important. It was a small snake, but very, very venomous, so important to make sure that we got rid of uh, or cleared the snake out before that we started.
5: Nicole, you mentioned that scoring's up and the standard is at an all-time high. What was the AFL's focus going into the year? What were you looking to achieve cool. for this season?
0: Yeah, so we had five new rule changes, and they're, and they're all a, a package deal. They all work to each other. So obviously adding in uh, a rotational cap now of 60 Um uh, you know trying to look for um, and bringing the boundary lines back out inside the 50 meter arcs in aflw there are some unique rules so we had the boundary lines brought in 10 meters um, we keep that in the wings and the and the center part of the ground so that the secondary stoppages are down but we think that Um, by taking it back out to the boundary line inside the 50 arcs, it's actually going to uh, put the ball in a better position to score. We increased the game time as well. So the game time is up by eight minutes per game. And in round two, that looked about 12% up in time per quarter, but 30% up in scoring. So uh, again, all of this was about trying to have free-flowing football and, and admittedly trying to increase scoring as well. And we've seen that. Last year our highest score for a round was 90 goals in the round uh, and we had 99 in round one and we had 117 in round two.
5: And that's just, uh, I assume, as the girls spend more time in the system and so forth, the skill level is clearly up. If we can just yeah. park the CBA, Nicole, and we understand that process and the economics, et cetera, but from an aspirational point of view and knowing that the girls would like to play one another once a season making it a 17 game season when would you parking the CBA when would you like to see that be able to happen
0: uh, um, and I know, know it's, it's hard good. to
5: park the well, yeah, economics and so forth but from an aspirational uh, I'll, perspective
0: so I'll, I'll, I'll change your question a little bit Scotty if that's okay so what I'm you're welcome about to. is <laughs> what, what what I'm thinking about is how we, we turn the dial on being year-round footballers so there's a lot of terminology around being full-time footballers, full-time professionals, they're already professional in everything that they do um, but what I would like to see is year-round footballers so having a prescribed off-season, a pre-season, in-season and holiday period so that Really, the planning of their lives and also the coordination of things away from football, which is really important, is still front of mind. We fund uh, the player development managers into. Uh, each and every one of our 18 clubs, thanks to BHP. So that is the job of these player development managers to make sure that they're either working and or, and, or studying as well so that they're actually thinking about life away from football and life after football as well. So uh, I think that year round, and, and certainly that's been on the table and being discussed as to what year round looks like for the players. So I still think we need to take the step-by-step step, um, on this journey because we've only been, been around for seven years, in uh, eight season So, you know, it would be premature to be talking about what will it look like at this period of time. We, we are focused on the steps um, that we need to take to be able to improve the competition year on year.
6: Nicole, how difficult is it um, in your role to deal with the many competing demands and the different stakeholders associated with AFLW? There's clearly players who believe they... They should be full-time or want to be full-time. They want a longer season. They want more money. There's broadcasters. Um, There's so many different stakeholders involved. And to satisfy all of them would be near on impossible. So you need to decide what is Mm -hmm. right. And from your position, I'd imagine that's even more difficult because your role isn't on the AFL executive, which I think is also an error from the league perspective. I don't expect you to comment on that. But in terms of all the different stakeholders, how do you manage those responsibilities?
0: I start with the back part first. Um, to say that I'm not in the exec doesn't mean I haven't been able to be, um, you know, thriving in the job that I do and, yep. and successful in the job that I do. Steve Hocking, Andrew Dillon, they're the two that I've reported to on the executive prior to Laura Kane now being on the executive. So yep. I don't see that as an issue. Yeah, it is difficult because. Um, it's difficult to manage people's expectations, and it's human nature to want more and to want it straight away. Um, I think about even the evolution of my sport, and it is better for every generation. So I, I can look at the swimmers now and go, wow, this is really amazing the amount of technology around the amount of coaching staff around how sophisticated it is. It wasn't like that for me, it wasn't like that for Dawn Fraser or Shane Gould prior to that. For mm. so every generation, it is better um so again it's hard it's hard also for players to be thinking while they're in the moment that they are actually trailblazers as well that will make this a better league for future generations for their daughters and their granddaughters and we want to be able to do this sustainably in 7 years and 8 seasons of AFLW the industry has invested almost 300 million dollars in AFLW alone that's not talking about pathway investment it's not talking about game development or community investment Um, So there's a lot of money and a lot of investment going into ASLW, but we just need to be thinking about doing this sustainably. And there's lots of examples of going too big too quickly uh, and, and it not being sustainable. We've made the choice to go to 18 teams, though, and I think that's been the right choice to be able to have every club have a women's team and to be able to experience the benefit and the joy that a women's team brings to the club.
3: Nicole, four matches up today, St Kilda and Port, Eagles and Carlton, Collingwood and Gold Coast, and it finishes with Brisbane and Sydney. You say you're off to RSCA Park. Who gets the chocolates
0: today? I reckon uh, the Saints might get the chocolates over Port, although they are really hunting a win as well, Port Adelaide. So um, I think the home ground advantage might be it. I think it's going to be packed at at Morabin at RSCA Park. And if people want to go along, uh, just go to womens.afl forward slash tickets, $10 for adults and kids are free.
6: Is is the idea to continue to play at Victoria Park and uh, Mineral Sources Park and other grounds like that rather than Marvel Stadium? Is that that the short to medium term planning for AFLW, Nicole?
0: Yeah, Tom. And what we're doing is building uh, the fandom of AFLW as well and Heartland venues, the feedback that we get and we research and and, um, interview uh, the fans after every single match that we do in AFLW and have done since the start. And those venues really resonate well with a connection for community to come along. Um, so, yeah, Heartland Venues is certainly where we're at for the moment. Um, and, again, we're seeing some pretty incredible scenes and some pretty incredible crowds. There are some Tier 2 venues that we'll play at. Obviously, um, we're at GMHBA, we're at Heritage Bank, uh, we're at Monica, their biggest stands. Um, so, again, you know, it's about trying to build this crowd and also the audience. We're still judged by the same metrics as men's sport. We're, we're looking at people that are coming to the game, people that are watching the game. And whilst the football continues to to develop and and be really good on field, we need to also do the work on on building the fandom.
3: Nicole, enjoy it out there at Moorabbin today. RSCA Park, St Kilda and Port Adelaide, thank you for joining us on Sunday Crunch Time. Thanks.
0: Thanks very much. Thanks, Nicole.
3: Nicole Livingston, General Manager of Women's Football. (coughs) Plenty more to come on Sunday Crunch Time, but up now, it's the news.
2: You're listening to Crunch Time Zito Power Tools German design quality and innovation Powering DIYers All day, every day Visit Berwick GWM Havel And test drive the GWM Canon CC Part of the Berwick Motor Group On Crunch Time The Newsweek With Tom Morris
3: And it's going to be your biggest and best one yet. Oh, I'm not sure about that, Sarah. Thank you.
6: (laughs) Confirming the preliminary final times and venues, Collingwood v GWS, 7.40pm Friday night at the MCG. No shock there. Saturday twilight, Brisbane v Carlton, 5.15pm, which would allow the Blues to get home if they won on Saturday night and have uh, seven days into the grand final.
3: How do they arrive at this decision, the AFL?
6: Just what I said, they, the the Brisbane-Carlton game, in my view, was always going to be that twilight time. If there was two games in Melbourne for prelim finals, there'd be Friday night and Saturday night. Um, but because uh, one of those games is interstate, they bring it forward to twilight. Do we like that, Scotty? Do you understand that? Given that if Carlton... Uh, no, the Giants now have a six-day break and they've got to travel. Uh, it's not
5: overly fair. For the Giants but it's not about the Giants it all sits with Collingwood and Brisbane and they've sat up as Friday and Saturday and Collingwood deserve having finished on top they deserve the extra day's break leading into the grand final and unfortunately those teams that play them just have to fit in that's the unfortunate aspect uh, and there was nothing that could be inverted in a sense Port went into the game last night uh, with less break than the Giants So they played Saturday Mm. night last week. So they had exactly seven days. Uh, The Giants played in the afternoon. They flew back to Sydney last Saturday. But then Port had to fly on Sunday back home. So there's always ways we can look at it where a team is disadvantaged. But that's Port's lot because Brisbane finished above them Mm. and that's how it's fixtured. And I think now that you've had a week off before the finals, all clubs have less to essentially get worked up about because you had that 10, 14-day break. Um, it was interesting chatting to someone at Collingwood the other day who said of their first 14 games, in about 10 of those they played, their opponent had an extra day's break. Really? Yeah. So just an anomaly of the draw. So Collingwood had a real focus in that start to the year because if that's what they faced.
3: Projecting hmm. forward, that's going to be a one-sided crowd, so, isn't it, on Friday night at the MCG? It's
6: going to be awesome. And it's only a few years ago that the Giants beat the Pies in a prelim final. At the MCG, which was an incredible game in itself.
5: And it was against the grain, wasn't it? Yeah. Like Collingwood were coming uh, off a grand final the year before and so forth. So, as we said, the Giants winning at 11 different grounds, the ground holds no fear for them. They've had that approach this year, which holds them in really good stead, notwithstanding arrested Collingwood who played really strong football a week ago to find their way into a preliminary final.
3: Tom, health is wealth at this time of the year. I think David King says it's the most important player out there is the health of the team. Injuries, though, for Collingwood and the Giants. Let's start with the Pies.
6: Well, you speak to people at Collingwood and they seem certain that Nick Dacos will play. I heard what David King said during the week on Dacos not being a certainty, um, but unless I'm being lied to by people I trust, they believe Nick Dacos will play. And Scotty, I've been lied <laughs> to. Be- be the first time Scotty, or the last time. I've been lied to before, but these people have never lied to me, and they tell me Dacos will play unless anything uh, well look, goes wrong from here on in.
5: Just seeing the vision of Friday night, he looked sharp, and he was playing in the match practice. So I can mm. say, see no possible reason, based on that vision, that he wouldn't be playing.
6: And from the start, they said I think six weeks. Um, that was
3: best case.
6: Best case. Best
3: case was to come in for a prelim.
6: No, six weeks would have been semi-final week. Seven weeks is prelim. So um, we expect him to play. Uh, The other one is Taylor Adams with a hamstring. This Mm -hmm. is a rotten blow. So it's considered on the low end, but a typical three-week hamstring would see him miss a grand final. He will not play the prelim final, um, and he's up against it to play the grand final if they win. It's a rotten blow because he did it at training as well. So it's not like he even did it in the hustle and bustle of a game. Um, So that that, that hurts the Pies, doesn't it, Scotty?
5: Oh, it it does, no doubt about it. Um, A huge loss, hopefully – It seems that it's only on the minor end. But if we look at just the time frame, I think from doing it to a Friday, it's 15 days to the grand final. Mm. So it would be a really tight turnaround for him.
6: Kieran Briggs for GWS with a left shoulder. He's a watch at the Giants. But I listened to Adam Kingsley after the game. I've checked in with the club. I expect he'll be fit to play Collingwood on uh, Friday night. He's important for them, isn't he? I love the I love his career arc. He's sort of come from the clouds. He's <laughs> signed a new deal in the last week or two, and uh, yeah, he's he's a big big
5: boy. He's oh. a, he's very important. Well, Callum Ward referenced it last night after the game in turn, when they were asking about turnaround in form, and you got your game going. He specifically mentioned Kieran Bricks. Briggs coming into the team and the impact he's had.
3: And we'll be speaking to Isaac coming in the second hour. So we can touch base with him and see how big Briggsy is as well. The North Best and Fairest, Tom, that was on last night. Please tell me, Nick Larkey won?
6: No, Nick Larkey came second. Harry Sheasel won, the first player that I can find that has won a Best and Fairest in his first year at the club. Um, So Nick Larkey second and then Bailey Scott came third. Thoughts on that, Scotty, given that... Nick Larkey had an unbelievable season and was – was he named on
5: the All-Strain bench? He was, yes. Well, as a sitting (laughs) committee member of the (laughs) forwards brigade – You're not happy. Well, and you've got to park – because Harry Sheasel had a fantastic season. But I would have thought, and I was just looking, uh, Larkey's kicked 71 goals in a team that didn't kick many goals. He didn't have many opportunities. So I I was trying just to find um, goals kicked for the year to get a percentage of score. And he would, by – a country mile, have the most um, percentage score. Because Tex kicked 76 off a 2193-point season. North Melbourne kicked 1657, and he's kicked 71. Mm. So he was so dominant for North Melbourne that – any thought that he'll ever win a Best and Fairest is now dashed because I don't think he could have played any better.
6: And Sarah, Sadly. as you've said before, he can't play against North Melbourne.
3: Exactly. So unlike no, Charlie Kerno right. and Taylor Walker, who get to beat up on these sides, well, he doesn't get to beat up on North Melbourne. What more can a player do and, to get yeah, a Best and Fairest?
5: Uh, there's nothing more he can do. And it wasn't even three or four votes in it. It was about 25. Mm. was it 197 to 170. So there was a bit of a gap. And you know what? Your point about they can't beat up on them we've seen how much more difficult it is against say for Charlie Kerno the last two weeks against quality Tom McCartan and Stephen May where it is far more difficult to play and I thought Charlie competed so well on Friday night and it was really significant but in terms of kicking big bags it's bloody hard to do against Stephen May so even on that yeah the Sov left a few goals out there because yeah. he didn't get to play against himself.
6: So Benny Lyon, our producer, <laughs> tells me the first player since Darren Mead at Port Adelaide in 1997 to win a BF in his debut season. Darren Mead was 26 at the time.
5: But the big thing is there was about 15 debutants in that Port sure. season because it was their first season. It was. It so there's a very good chance it was going to be a, fir- a first-year AFL player.
6: Tarren Thomas finished sixth despite not playing until round 12. Wow, that's a massive result. Yeah, yeah it came home very strong, Taren Thomas.
5: Um, so... But- yeah, go if, even if you looked at Tarrant Thomas's votes, I think he had north of 100 on half a year, Larky 170 on a full year. You can't say Tarrant Thomas's impact, his half if you extrapolate out, was anywhere near what Sulves was. You
6: love him, don't you? Oh, Swords a
5: star. Yeah. How can you not be when you just because? <laughs> I think sometimes we rate forwards both on what they do, but how they do it, mm. and the how they do it sometimes has is overly represented or respected. Whereas Solv just keeps kicking goals, and he kicks accurately. He's a well. dead eye. Yes, He's you're a dead right. Eye. He's efficient. He's a great target. I mean, if every game, who else were you going to guard when North Melbourne played? You're mm. going to some of their other forwards respectfully uh, are just finding their way. So double, triple team, Just drop back on Suva
3: We might need to start a With hashtag a here. Oh. Scottie, justice for Suva.
5: Justice <laughs> for Suva. Solv- <laughs> Is he a friend of the show? Have we had him on? No. He is now. Yeah, you would love him. <laughs> Honorary.
6: You've never been positive, this positive about anyone all year. Oh, Tom. Um, maybe, I'm not Moore, that Sorry. Gr- aside from Asava. I'm not that grumpy.
5: I can get a bit grumpy yeah. at times, but I just think um, it was a huge effort for yeah. him this year. And I, I was surprised to see that. Notwithstanding, Sheezal is going to be an absolute star. I would like to see Sheasel play in the front half next year. Yeah, I'm not year. sure he will. He should. I think the plan is for him to play a combination of still back yeah.
6: and maybe a bit of midfield. So.
5: Park the halfback, mm. get him in the forward line. He's just too – he has too much class mm. not to be there.
3: The Tigers, Tom, they're still without a coach. What's the latest thing? Well,
6: Melbourne's defeat on Friday night now opens the door for the Tigers to announce Adam Musa this week if they want. It could be Andrew McWalter. They're the last two. Kaltumi's reported that as well. Um, there's no reason it can't be wrapped up now in the next 7 to 14 days. And I imagine that it will reach a pointy end pretty quickly. Um, it's just about what they want. Adam Uze came second at the Giants last year, second at Essendon. McQualter is the incumbent. Um, of the last five candidates, Uze is the oldest, McQualter is the youngest. Uh, I'm intrigued to see who they select here because you'd think that the incumbent has the runway to get the gig, but Uze's put forward a very strong case. He's tactically very proficient. He's been at Hawthorne, a successful environment. He essentially coaches Melbourne on match days in 2021 when they won the flag. It's an intriguing decision they've got ahead of them.
3: There's also a cautionary tale when it comes to caretaker coaches though, right?
6: There is. There is a cautionary tale. Yeah. McQualt had a fair crack at it. Like they had a he had a, he had he was, a long run. Aside from uh, Mark McVeigh last year, I would say that he's probably the longest serving
5: Ruse certainly had a long run at it in two thousand and one and one, two just before Did he took over. Yeah, he yeah. had quite a bit of that I think. worked out Rocket. okay. Yeah. Worked out really well. Well, yeah. You've had and Tom, you've had really good mail early on around Richmond. Mm. Do you have any gut feel yourself? No,
6: I don't. I don't on this one. It's a very difficult one. I think they're two really highly rated people and highly rated coaches.
5: Does, um, it, does it do you think it comes down is their philosophy to go um, have they decided on whether it's McWalter because he's been there or will their decision be based on the presentation? Are they, yeah, I don't do you know. think, yeah, it's interesting to see whether the incumbent, he does, he's to be beaten or whether it's even Stephen, isn't it? Or in fact, whether they've always thought we want someone external, McWalter actually has to knock him off. It's just a mindset, isn't it, and a philosophy of what you want.
6: And sometimes you can get too many weeks in the job yeah. and actually yep. it can work against you. And a couple of big losses for the Tigers, I thought might have worked against McQualter, but he's still in there.
3: Be interesting to see how that one plays yeah. out. What's happening this week at, at Melbourne and Port Adelaide? They're licking their wounds this morning. Yeah. But how does it look for the rest of the week? Well, from
6: a trade perspective, Brody Grundy is the big one. Um, the Sydney Swans of the club, Sarah, that you must, ama- you must be pretty happy that they're still in the hunt for Grundy. It's about how this contract looks now. It's really about how this trade and this contract looks. Um, this will get done. Grundy to the Swans.
3: Did Grundy meet with both Port Adelaide and Sydney? (laughs) And did Sydney get the jump on Port Adelaide? Uh,
6: What do you mean by the jump?
3: Did they get there first?
5: Not not that I'm
6: aware of. Do you think, is that your understanding?
5: Do you mean timing, Sarah, rather than perhaps the nature of what the offer is?
6: Yeah, I I think, uh, well, I don't know about the exact timing of the the two meetings. It was in the same week. But um, what I do know is that Grundy was more attracted to what the Sydney's sell around lifestyle, work-life balance, everything outside of football, than what Port Adelaide's was, which was come play at our footy club and you can be successful in footy. And Brodie Grundy, there's more to Brodie Grundy than football. So I think that really appealed. Also, the Swans can get the deal done far easier. They've got two second-round picks, two third-round picks. They've got money in their salary cap.
5: See, I think the Brodie Grundy deal is not a difficult one to do.
6: And if you Port with no well, drafting? Well, I
5: think Port and Sydney are both helping Melbourne. So Melbourne shouldn't be wanting too much for it because part of what they will want is the ability to move that money off their books and so do other things. So what would you things.
6: ask for then? They gave up pick 27 Melbourne.
5: Well, it's a lot later than that.
6: So at mid-30s, late-30s? Yeah, it has to be because yeah, in okay. a
5: sense, Melbourne valued him at 27 and then they're saying, well, yeah, we're, we're not got, playing yeah, you. Yeah, we're not playing we're Playing him. Josh Shackey ahead. Like in inverted commas, this hasn't worked. So yeah. you can't go and then want the same, at the, but in the same time, you're valuing... You're trying to work out the value of what the opposition, how they rate it. And yeah. they're both, when you decide who you want to go, they're both very different quantities, aren't they? You're going to a two-team t- town that are fanatical about football, a lot of scrutiny, and he is from there, so he understands it as opposed to a level of freedom around moving around everyday life with yeah. us, without anywhere near as much scrutiny. The other scrutiny one, the, sorry,
6: The other one at Melbourne is James Jordan. People around him expect that he will leave as a free agent. Now, he's a free agent because he was delisted a few years ago So that's under the AFL PA guidelines Once a free agent Always a free agent Where he goes I'm not sure But that'll take place This week Sarah And the VFL VFL They had their Prelim finals <laughs> yesterday uh, The Brisbane Lions They lost In the VFL And uh, the Gold Coast They won So we've got a
2: Gold Coast versus Williamstown Grand Whereby. final we?
3: Isaac coming And Hassaman Join us next
2: you're listening to Crunch Time. Zeto Power Tools. German design quality and innovation powering DIYers. All day, every day. Visit Berick GWM Havel and test drive the GWM Canon CC. Part of the Berwick Motor Group.
3: Hello and welcome back to Crunch Time for Ozito, Powering DIYers all day, every day at Bunnings. And a very warm welcome if you were joining us for the first time around the country. Sarah Ollie here with Scotty Lucas and Tom Morris unpacking all this weekend's action. If you're just joining us and you want to listen to the podcast, Nicole Livingston, the AFLW boss, joined us earlier. Isaac Cumming is coming up next and a little later in the show. Hassaman. Mann he played alongside the great, the iconic... Ron Brassi, and he's also going to join us. Tom, that hour flew. Scotty, Mm. you're still on the calculator because hashtag, the hashtag we are spreading is justice for Suva because you're (laughs) not happy that he didn't get the best in fairest at North Melbourne best in fairest last night.
5: Sheezal's a star. I've got to say that first. But I think the was better. Mm. I've got him down. I've got an old record and I've got the goals. Uh, Part one. Solve kick 71. North Melbourne kick 243 for the year. 29.2% of score. I'm going to give you the Walker and Kerno one. That
3: is significant. I'm going to give
5: you the Kerno walker before. So if you ask me a question and I give a very vague answer, it's because I'm busy on the calculator. Leave me to it. Thank you, guys. All
3: right. So you just <laughs> keep clicking away there. Tom, a, a, a sad morning in many respects with the passing of Ron Barassi, but it doesn't really belie the weekend of football, which has been incredible mm. as well. And I should
6: also mention the passing of Kevin Cowboy-Neal as well, 1966 premiership player for St Kilda, member of their um, Hall of Fame and also Team of the Century. So it is a sad morning for all football fans, but specifically fans associated with the clubs of Cowboy-Neal and the four clubs that uh, Ron Barassi was um, a very big part of. But the football of the weekend, <laughs> the football we say it every week, the football over the weekend has been engrossing. You can't take your eyes off it friday night was incredible last night was incredible seeing the giants the orange tsunami silence port on their home turf what four six weeks after losing by 50 points yeah. at that venue amazing and players like jesse hogan sort of on the scrap heat at Fremantle, traded out of melbourne and nothing deal at the giants look what he can do seeing um seeing brent daniels become the player that he's become seeing stephen coniglio Turn his career around.
3: He's had a renaissance, hasn't he? I was
6: sure he was done. 2020, 2021, he was on about a million dollars a year. And I thought, this guy's never going to be the same player that he was. And he has become so important for the Giants. 30 disposals last night. And then their defensive unit, Sam Taylor and Jack Buckley, we're about to speak to Isaac Cumming. It's so impressive what the Giants are doing. And straight sets for Port and Melbourne, they've got a lot of soul-searching to do as well.
3: They do indeed. You were doing the Demon's Call for (laughs) SEN on Friday night. How was that experience?
6: Uh, Well, it was disappointing because the Ds lost um, and that made it a little bit more difficult. But it was good fun. I I needed to dial up my nuffness a little bit more than I usually do. I'm so used to being a reporter and a journalist and as a result actually being – extremely impartial when I'm watching Melbourne games and almost divorcing myself from my childhood love Mm. for the club. But um, I I rediscovered that and in the end it was heartbreaking seeing Blake Akers keep that goal. But if I can take a step back from it, I think Carlton deserved it. I know Melbourne missed their chances, but Carlton took their chances. And that's the game, isn't it? And Melbourne have a history now over three or four years, aside from one month in 2021, of losing games in the same manner. And it happened again against Carlton on Friday night.
3: For the second year in a row, a straight sets exit for Simon Goodwin's side. Mm. Uh, We flagged it off the top a little bit, but are they maximising this list that they've got? Because this list is better than one flag and one flag at Optus Stadium.
6: Well, (laughs) yeah. Speaking to Melbourne supporters, as I have done over the past 48 hours, the answer is no. This list needs to win another flag to frank its potential and its quality and its talent. And to go straight sets two years in a row, you know, Sydney and Brisbane last year, um, and then this year losing to Carlton and a very talented Collingwood team, just proves that something's amiss when it matters most. And it's interesting because you've got a football club that is so competent in the midfield, so stable in defence. Now, very stable off-field, but the forward line, and whether it's the forwards, whether it's the connection to the forward line, Scotty, regardless, it just seems dysfunctional at times. And um, and that's something they need to try to fix in the off-season. How they fix this remains to be seen because next year, out of contract, is Ben King, Jamari Eugle-Hagan, Oscar Allen, Aaron Norton, Jesse Hogan. Hmm. They've got all these key forwards out of contract at the end of next year, but how are they going to find someone to straighten them up? and to provide that better connectivity this year, I don't know how they're going to be able to do that.
3: Now, you've got blisters on your fingers over there, Scotty, from just bashing away at the calculator. How are you going?
5: So, as I said, 29.2% <laughs> of score. Mm. Tex, 238 mm. Charlie, 283 So, the clubhouse okay. leader on goals to scores, ratio, <laughs> importance to team, etc., is the silver? Do what I like, Sarah. The
3: hashtag Justice yep. for silver.
5: Scotty doing it old school
6: with a pen and paper <laughs> and a calculator, <laughs> tapping away. <laughs>
5: yeah, I just needed the goals. How many did kick? How many did the team kick? Divide by one another, and surprise you get Surprised you don't have a chalkboard. by a <laughs>
3: <laughs> Well, the Giants were absolutely okay. sensational last night. In the end, twenty-three point winners over Port Adelaide. And why is that coming? How about this goal?
1: Strikes it away. Power Pepper just hammered to ground when he took possession by coming No way through. That one's paid as holding the ball.
3: Isaac Cumming
1: makes his approach to goal. He launches well outside. 50 made sweet contact. Oh, he carried it. He knew exactly what he was doing. It just kept coming and coming and coming all the way home.
3: <laughs> Sweet contact, and then some, and Isaac Coming has been good enough to join us this morning on Sunday Crunch Time. Isaac, welcome.
8: Thank you very much, guys. How
3: are we? We are well, but more importantly, how are you? How was everything last night? You guys just find a way to win anywhere, anytime.
8: Yeah, it was, um, it was a great night. There's uh, you're not much to be unhappy about at the moment, so it's uh, exciting, times.
5: Congratulations on the win, Isaac. Now, are you back in Sydney or have you yet to fly back? How has the last 12 hours looked from a recovery point of view and how does this week look knowing that you're playing on a six-day break and you've travelled, it'll be the third week in a row that you're travelling?
8: Yeah, I um, I literally just walked in the door back at home, so we got a nice early flight this morning, which was uh, which was good and um, yeah, obviously last night was pretty cruisy, just got back to the hotel and chilled out, but um. yeah, six-day breaks, so I, actually, I actually enjoy them because the week's quick, Training through the ads, and, um, yeah, if you sort of just do a little bit of extra recovery here and there, you end up feeling the same as you do on a seven-day break. So uh, we're pretty keen for
6: it. Isaac, are you aware that the Giants are the team that every single supporter in the AFL is going for? This Friday, aside from Collingwood supporters. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
8: know, I figured we actually have this chat before the flight that um, that we hopefully just get a few unusual fans on board. And, um, yeah, I mean, hopefully a few of them buy a ticket for Friday night. That'd be nice.
3: <laughs> My husband was actually getting around in a Giants cap this morning. So there it's you cool. go. You've converted well, one the best Tigers song in fan. The it's
8: the best song. There we go. One at a time.
3: <laughs>
5: Isaac... Uh, a lot of, I'm sure you've all been asked, since the turnaround mid-year, from your perspective, what's been significant in that turnaround?
8: Um, I suppose, I guess, it was just a bit of, I oh know, it was always going to take time. I think a, a few of the boys have sort of spoke about um, a new system, a new coach, and a sort of new everything, I guess, it was always going to take time. In the first half of the year, you know, you sort of look back and we were sort of 80% good. We just couldn't sort of finish off games, and now um, now we all sort of know what our system looks like and what our roles look like within it, and uh, we're able to finish off games well. And um, yeah, things are just things were clicking from the from the uh, halfway through the year, and hopefully they keep clicking.
5: Isaac, a stat came out a week or two ago. I think it was the 11th different venue you'd won at, and I think it caught most of us by surprise. Is it news to you, and does it mean anything?
8: Um, No, it wasn't new to us. We sort of speak about um, our wins away from home record and it's something we're really proud about because um, we have to travel a fair bit. But um, yeah, winning away from home is obviously tough and we've done that um, a fair bit this year. So it's something that we're really proud of and hopefully continue to do for the rest of the year. Isaac, two games in your first year, five games in your second
6: year, three games in your third year. So you've played, what's that, 10 games through three seasons of AFL footy. And then the last three years you've gone 24, 21, and 19. What's changed to allow you to become a consistent member of the Giants team?
8: Um, well, I think half of the backs requesting a trade, um, in 2020, helped. <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, that helped me out a bit, but um, no, I think my first, yeah, my first four years it was obviously, um, a pretty sus, started stuttered back line, um, so I had to sort of just my apprenticeship, I guess. And once a few of them left and an opportunity opened up, I um, I just sort of had to take it with both hands. And, um, yeah, this year's looked a bit different, sort of haven't played that much in the back line. But, uh, yeah, very happy to just sort of be playing consistent AFL footy.
3: We're speaking to Giants defender Isaac Cumming, who did sneak forward for a mm. goal last night. It was a massive goal indeed. And, Isaac, this morning we've been talking on Sunday Crunch Time about one of your teammates in Stephen Cornelio and, the renaissance that he has had this year, and it came when the captaincy was actually taken off him. Now, that could have gone one of two ways, but he's absolutely blossomed again. What's it been like watching him get back to his best form?
8: Yeah, it's been unbelievable. I um, I mean, he sort of, a few years ago, when he sort of had that really, really um, big breakout year and was one of the best players in the comp, um, we sort of um, all knew what he was capable, and he had a sort of rough, Year or so and whatnot, but um, to see him back at his best is just so good. And he's he's so loved, he's so respected across the club and and across the whole competition. So um, yeah, it's, it's unreal to see.
6: What sort of footy fan are you, Isaac? Are you a study of the game? Um, are you going to look at Collingwood Vision this week? I mean, I'd love to see Braden Maynard play on Toby Green. <laughs> Would that be an amazing matchup? But t- tell us about your uh, your diet, your football diet.
8: Um. Yeah, you know, I suppose I've got not a bad balance i don't like to sort of do too much but obviously um i get what i need done and, and look throughout some games and um especially who i'm playing on but uh i suppose by by this time of the year you sort of know how everyone's playing because it's been what 20 24 23 games so uh yeah i think we all know what collingwood can do and um yeah we'll, we'll be ready to go friday
5: Isaac, you're now considered a friend of the show from being our guest. Congratulations. Welcome. Welcome. And now you get a chance to indulge. Tell us about the goal. Outstanding. Uh, any halfback that pushes forward and gets a chance to lob a long one is always really pleased with himself. So the floor is yours. Tell us about it.
7: Oh, <laughs> uh, I tell
8: you, I'm, I was actually going to the top of the square into the yeah, last Sure you, you were, oh, sure sure you were Isaac. Isaac. Come on. No, I on. promise. And, you're with um, friends. <laughs> <laughs> and then... Because I, I asked a bit too early, but the um, the um sort of didn't play, uh, didn't call play on when I thought he was going to, so I just took a couple more steps and, um, yeah, thankfully struck it all right. But, yeah, it was, uh, it was a nervous couple of seconds deciding what I was going to do. Well,
3: Isaac, thank you so much for joining us on Sunday Crunch Time. It has been a wild ride watching the Orange Tsunami this mm. season, but we are completely intoxicated. Best luck on Friday against the Pies. It should be a cracker.
8: Appreciate that, guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Isaac.
3: GDS Defender, Isaac oh. coming. I've been hearing lots of Giants on SEN over the past week or two, and I cannot fault any of them. They're all such lovely, humble. young, humble men. And I don't think they're going to be scared, Tom, of coming to the MCG on Friday. Now, earlier in the year, the Magpies got the job done, but as we said off the top of the show, halfway through the season, the Giants were in 15th spot. Yep. So it has been some kind of... Of turnaround. Let's get into last night's match yeah. because in the end it was the Giants 13-15-93 defeating Port Adelaide 9-16-70. This was impressive because Port Adelaide kept coming. They kept chipping away, Scotty, but the Giants always had enough of a buffer, didn't they?
5: It was the work they did in the second quarter, wasn't it, where they kicked five goals in a row and they looked particularly dangerous. Just that power running all over the field was significant uh, for me but the core of their game was the contest and the clearances. I mean, they absolutely smashed Port Adelaide around the footy with really good method. And then the run and the bounce, like coming, kicking a goal and the halfbacks joining in, Whitfield was excellent. We saw the speed of Daniels in the forward mm-hmm. line. Bedford, they're just really complete at the moment. They set it up. But credit to Port, and, and I've said this a couple of times, they've been wounded. Yep. Uh, I mean, really, Jesse Hogan, uh, there was a fair handicap on um, Trent McKenzie. Trent McKenzie looked like he shouldn't have been out there. Like he was really favouring that leg and he couldn't explode. So we saw Hogan getting a lot of uncontested marks mm-hmm. inside Ford 50. So I really feel for Port Adelaide in that regard. But the Giants still needed to take care of business. Full credit to Port that they kept coming and coming. But the work that Port had done in that second quarter set them up really well to get that win. How harsh are we going
6: to be in Port Adelaide?
5: I don't think we should be um, because. Mm-hmm. They showed when everyone was fit and going what they had. They also – they've made clear what, that they understand what the deficiency is with Zerk Thatcher and Asava being the players they've targeted. And Grundy. And and Grundy, that's right. Lysette, they had that makeshift ruck. Finn Laysen's form dropped off later in the year. Um, and then Jonas. So they just lost all flexibility with the way they set up their back line. And if you look at the way that Port go about it and their class in the front half, it's not that big a surprise – to see Port, uh, the Giants being able to kick a winning score. Let's not, and you have to assess it, but Brisbane haven't lost at home. So that was their first final. Mm. And then they come home with those injuries and so forth that I think you've got to look, look ahead with them, acknowledge that it was a really strong season that didn't end at the way that they wanted. But if they can get those players in through the trade, free agency period, they give themselves a chance to go again next year
3: nonetheless it was a disappointing end to the season after securing the double chance this was Ken Hinckley last night after the loss
9: it's reasonable to sit there and say that it's got to get better I would say that we can't we can't refute that we've got to sit there and go yeah we definitely have to get better if we're going to win in September we we was no you know we had a great run of 13 wins and we were playing some really strong footy but look the last seven or eight weeks for a number of reasons we weren't near that near that form for the last seven or eight weeks and it got showed up in the finals
6: That's Ken Hinkley essentially saying we didn't have the players to compete at the top level all the time without using that as an excuse, which I agree with. I think he's got to be careful with his words. He doesn't want to give too many excuses or too many reasons to the fans, but I think it's absolutely valid, especially when you consider how powerful the Lions are at home, as you said, and also the Giants have, I think, a full list to pick from, or certainly very close to. Ken Hinkley is the first coach in VFL-AFL history to not make a grand final in his first 11 years as a senior coach. So the, over the course of more than a decade, they failed in September. But something tells me that this failure in September is different, especially if they get the players in that they want. They'll be better next year. They've got a, a decision to make on Travis Boak. Tom Jonas has retired. Um, they'll get Jordan Sweet via a trade as well, which and they believe that he could be uh, a first-choice ruckman for yeah. them. So they're going to strengthen but a bit like what Melbourne next year will have to be. It, it won't even matter what happens during the season. It will matter what happens when it gets to September for Port Adelaide. And that's that's a very um, high threshold to mm. have to clear.
5: And it's more than reasonable. You're quite yep. right. At round 19, if Port and Melbourne are one and two on the ladder, we'll be asking the question. Mm. That's great. Mm. But until September comes, we'll reserve our judgment on assessing their year. And that's just the crux of the competition. It's yep. such a tough competition. And I'll often it's a marathon, not a sprint. So within seasons, you see ebbs and flows in form and you don't always control, you're not controlling those ebbs and and Port came off their game at the wrong time. We've seen Carlton and, um, the Giants really bounce. Mm. Collingwood went flat for six weeks. I think a part of that was availability of players, but also the length of the season and, um, having reached what they needed to that they're almost getting itchy hey we just need September to come around we can't do anything more now uh, that's the challenge of our game it's a long season
6: and you said it I think in about round 20 how important is this going to be who finishes second as opposed to third for the last 10 weeks of the season Brisbane went eight and two Port went five and five and Port only missed second on percentage mm-hmm. but it meant they had to travel to the Gabba. And it was so crucial yeah. that they didn't finish in behind Collingwood in that second position.
5: Well, that's right. They, they flew on. They played on seven days. That's okay. But they mm-hmm. did. Fl- they flew back. They picked up a couple of injuries. It's a brutal game to play at the Gabba. They haven't mm-hmm. lost there all year. You're right. Where you finish uh, has really dictated that because of who finished mm-hmm. where. And, Sarah,
6: mm-hmm. alongside Essendon and St Kilda, I think Port are the most interesting team this offseason. How they can get the draft capital in to satisfy Geelong for Radicalea, Essendon, who are notoriously a little Mm. bit difficult to deal with for Zerk Thatcher, and also the Western Bulldogs for Jordan Sweet, which should be a Mm. bit easier. They don't have a pick at the moment, Port, before the last selection of the second round, which is tied to Collingwood. So they can use future selections, or they can give up some players, but they have to get creative.
5: Or they can split it. They may look to split that first pick from next year, if they could bring it into this year. And because you know we're starting to talk player values, but you assess what the value of each player is. Is, it, is any of them worth a the first rounder in isolation? Perhaps not. So, therefore, if you split your first for two seconds, do you have enough collateral to get two of those trades done based on that one pick? Yeah. All to be planned out. And, and you're the creativity will be a key. Okay. Yeah, yeah, you're at the we'll, cold we'll, face we'll, with that with the Sava. Yeah, we, we will be involved in that with the Sava. Yeah, and, and,
6: and he's a hard one to value. Without,
5: without talking about his value, mm. a job of any manager is to chat to the club giving up the player and what their expectation is and the, the club looking to acquire and what their expectation is. 99 times out of 100, they're different. Yep. <laughs> that, that, and that's part of our job, just to, to work through that in, in yeah. a manner that we think satisfies both teams in a fair and reasonable manner. That's all we can do.
3: How did Port Adelaide massage and negotiate this situation with Travis Boak? who is a club great who wants to keep playing. He chaired off Tom Jonas last night, but he himself wasn't chaired off. He doesn't want to retire. But is he going to be at Port Adelaide next year? Tom?
6: I wonder whether he chaired Tom Jonas off Scotty because he didn't want to be chaired off himself.
3: (laughs) So he quickly
5: (laughs) ran to the player that he knew. Get on my shoulder. That's not going to be me. Yeah, that appears to be an interesting conversation that needs to be had. And I was interested he was sub last week. Uh, and whether having not tracked his form in the last month or so or his body, I thought he was a very good player last night for them.
6: 348 Mm. games. He had 21 disposals last night. The question Port have to ask is, do they want a 35-year-old on the list that might be playing Sandville next year? Or would they prefer to give games to a younger player? And then the question that that other clubs have to ask is, is Travis Boak... Any I, value to us? I don't
5: think that's even a conversation. No. no. Look, I don't think you're bringing a 35-year-old player into your club, uh, despite all the leadership and benefits he had. Because, look, he's been such a wonderful player for Port Adelaide, and they'll work out that. But you, your statement was correct. You absol- If there's any chance that he could end in the sandfall next year, I'd say, Travis, you've been great. Um, go out on such a high. Um But players are so competitive. It's, you know, they want to play play forever. forever. Yeah, they do. And he's given himself every chance. And 348 games says he's done everything in his power for his entire career. Um, But it does, it comes to the end for for everyone. And the fact that they haven't done it at this stage perhaps means the port have a view that may differ from Travis's. Mm.
6: It ended respectfully with Robbie Gray, with mm. Justin Westhoff, yeah. with Tom Jonas it appears as well, but this just seems a little bit more difficult.
5: And it, quite, all your hope is that it ends in a really respectful manner, however that ends.
3: Mm. On the Giants' side of the equation, they set up a preliminary final at the MCG against Collingwood on Friday night. Tom, we were saying that this might be one of the more one-sided crowds of all time, and this was something put to Adam Kingsley last night.
5: Well, I can only speak on the last two weeks. You know, 45,000 today, probably 40,000 of them. Port Adelaide supporters, loud crowd, obviously very passionate. We were able to do a pretty good job, and then the week before against the Saints, I think we maybe just short of 70. Similar, similar moments. So I feel like I feel like we've had some pretty good leading games to to the Collingwood game. You know, cl- clearly they've got a great supporter base as well. Um, 90 plus at the G. Wouldn't ask for anything more.
6: So since 2016, the Giants have won finals at the Olympic Stadium, the Gabba, the SCG, York Park, Adelaide Oval, and <laughs> Giants Stadium. They know how to win everywhere as a football club. Yeah. So even though they've had a little downturn with Leon Cameron sacking last year or departure last year, um, they're a red-hot chance. And, you know, when you watch these semifinals, Scotty and Sarah, and you think to yourself, who am I going to support here? And you generally support the team that you think is going to give the best game the next week. So who's going to challenge Collingwood best? And – the Giants are clearly more of a match for Collingwood than what Port would have been at the MCG. Still a tough ask,
5: but they're a sniff. Oh, without doubt, I think Collingwood would prefer, if they, and they would never admit it, but no. would prefer to be taking on a Port Adelaide than a Giants for the very reason you've spoken about. Their ability to win anywhere, it's a huge effort, uh, the way that they go, particularly in finals. Uh, excellent. They'll give themselves a chance, but it's going to be a tough ask, isn't it? Three weeks, and even if we go out to their... Last game before the – like, they've actually played three finals, three cutthroats. Mm. Like, they played Carlton. Mm. They actually – well, they didn't really play Essendon. They toyed with Essendon. Mm. But that was a cutthroat game in round 23. Then the next week where they Mm. travelled, then St Kilda, then it's going to be essentially their fourth game in a row. That's a huge ask.
6: No casualties, though. No. They've done it without picking up a lot of injuries. No, but
5: but there is that mental fatigue as well, uh, full of credit uh, to them. Mm. They'd want to start that game – Well, I reckon. Like they did last night. Yeah. Well,
3: against St Kilda, that was the first time I'd seen the Giants live this year. And one thing they did very well was silence the crowd straight away. They took them out of it. Mm. So that would be a massive Mm. uplift if they could do that against the Pies. But I couldn't believe they're running. Watching mm. the Giants in the flesh and having the whole ground to look at, I could not believe the power mm. of their running. And we've heard about Toby Bedford and mm. Brent Daniels throughout the year, but when you watch those two players in particular, you see, Tom, how important and critical they are to this orange tsunami, which is back in a big way. Yeah,
6: and Lockie Whitfield in defence, yeah. he's running and kicking powers. Lockie Ash. Yeah. Lockie
5: Ash. Well, even the friend of the show, Isaac coming. his <laughs> goal. Like, he's a <laughs> halfback pushing up. And you don't... Just their overall athletic profile. I'm like you, Sarah, having seen them live last week against St Kilda. That power running, but to outnumber at contest requires power. Like Tom Green covers; he's a big body, but covers the ground. Contest to contest. I mean, if there was a cumulative GPS taken, and I'm sure each club does get the calculator out, Scotty, <laughs> <laughs>
3: Not for the first time today. Tom, I'd rely. I'd
5: rely on too many S and C coaches having to give up their uh, having to give up all their information, but. I would say, cumulatively speaking, they could be across the board the hardest running team, of ground covered. They In just word, keep going.
3: Can they dare to dream the Giants?
5: They can dare to dream, but they I'm m- not brave enough to tip them. That's they not
3: must. A word. I know.
5: <laughs> They must.
3: Plenty more to come. One Sunday crunch time.
2: You're listening to Crunch Time. Zito Power Tools. German design quality and innovation powering DIYers. All day, every day. Visit Berwick GWM Havel and test drive the GWM Canon CC. Part of the Berwick Motor Group. We think we're in a good shape to
9: be able to continue to build, but we've got to sometimes go through these little challenges, this adversity to, to really build. Um, the resilience and greatness that's required to win big games. And, um, you know, we sit here, Carlton, uh, you know, they took their opportunities and full credit to them. You know, they've they've really worked on that throughout this year. And you can see the adversity they've gone through to get in the position that they're in. So um, this is just for us, another step in our little work work way that we want to go back to where we want to be.
3: That's the voice of Melbourne coach Simon Goodwin after his side's two-point loss to Carlton on Friday night. Welcome back to Crunch Time. Sarah, Ollie, Tom Morris and Scotty Lucas here for the next half an hour or so. Now, you've been busy today on the calculator, Scotty. and
5: you've got questions from the audience. Paul
3: wants to know, have you crunched the numbers on Oscar Allen?
5: I have. Uh, As a matter of fact, Oscar Allen kicked 53 goals, the team 204. 25.98 25.98 percent so if you look at it most impressive it's high two percent higher than texas contribute even though so Texas 76 again? give what's, us the ladder uh the ladder i've only done four and yeah. there's a few more in it but it goes suvlaki charlie Kerno. so really impressive charlie if you look at it mm. um to be in the team that he's in and have a high percentage Oscar Allen third and Tex fourth on those that I've crunched.
3: So it's the percentage of goals that those yeah, players have kicked for their team. For their team,
5: yes. Yeah. So nearly, you know, Suvlaki, so nearly one in three. Huge, isn't it? <laughs> I love how much you love him. <laughs> oh.
3: So one Friday night, it was Carlton getting the job done. 11-7-73, defeating Melbourne 9-17-71. A pulsating, heartbreaking thriller at the MCG. Tom, on the Melbourne side of the equation, a straight sets exit mm. for the second year in a row. Just how disappointing is it, given the D's? they find a way to set themselves up with the double chance, a home final, and they just struggle to get it done in the home after the home and away season?
6: I think for Melbourne, I mean, there's two ways to look at it. It's better to give yourself a chance than fail than not give yourself a chance at all. Totally. They finish top four two years in a row. They lose four consecutive finals. And they would argue... Their home and away form would suggest that they are a good football club and that they are building something and that they're in the hunt. But in the end, it comes down to what happens in finals. And when you lose to Brisbane and Sydney last year, both at the MCG, you lose to Collingwood and Carlton this year, both at the MCG, mm. it's uh, it's it's another year wasted with Petrarca at his best, with Oliver in his prime, with Steve May, who's now 31 or 32, with Jake Lever, with Max Gorn, who's 32,
3: so the so, window's closing is what you're saying. I'm not sure it's closing. I just don't think it's
6: open indefinitely. You know, not Same that any thing. not that well,
3: <laughs> well no, you look at Hawthorne. Hawthorne in yeah. 08. That yes. window was
6: going to be open for a long time. Yeah, but because all yes. the gunplays were young. Well, young. Yes. Where's Melbourne's window? It's still open for another year or two, but it's not going to be open for another 4 or 5 or 6 unless no. they replenish yeah. it and do a lot of work.
5: Oh. Yeah, one or two cuz you think Max Probably
6: a couple, I think.
5: I think two, but Max is 32, 33. So that window is, yeah, one or two, but yeah. you don't need much to go wrong with some of those players. They're elite. Their back line is elite. Their yep. midfield are elite. It's just the difference between their forward line and all those other areas. But it, and and to be fair, their perfect forward line would have, and it's still got work, Petty yep. and Van Royen. Yes. Neither of those played. Uh, That makes it harder. I liked that they put Pickett and they tried something different. Would have liked Petrarca to play up there a little bit more than he did. Uh, But I I still go back, and I'm not blaming connection. I'm on Friday night. Execution. you just got to nail your goals, guys. And we're just watching a replay here, and we just see – Max on that banana. He didn't run out far enough. Mm. He kicked it off his line. Look, that's just forward craft. Run out, open up the angle, and make that goal a lot easier. Fritch's goal kicking has gone to the proverbial, hasn't it? And he's an elite finisher. But we saw Kennedy nail it. We saw Walsh Mm. nail it. Aker's two goals. Motlop. They just made the most of moments. And Goody was right. And they're well aware of what they've got to improve in, and they're working on it. But those guys in the front half haven't been able to get them out of trouble. Because Hawthorne, to your point earlier about their window, when they were successful, they could stuff up every other part of their game. But their front half was so good that they would find a way the class kicks goals. Mm. Melbourne have to manufacture more so for me than others. There's not just class goals, not something out of nothing. And when they're manufacturing, it becomes a grind. And in finals, what do you do? And Charlie Kurnow has found that the last couple of weeks. You're playing on elite backlines, So it gets harder. So home and away, it is a different game. Mm.
3: Do the Ds have to be aggressive and go out and find another forward? Or do they think that they've got the forwards and they just need a bit of organic growth? You mentioned Van Royen. He looks like he's going yeah. to be a player, but he's still young. Petty, of course. He came in and looked like he was going to be the panacea yep. to the forward line issues before going down injured. Do they need to go and target a player or do they have the players there?
5: No, no. In the perfect world, you go you go and get one of the best from another club and pay them a million dollars. Because I think with that player, they probably win the flag this so year.
6: Oscar Allen, Aaron Norton, Jesse Hogan, yes. Logan McDonald, Jamari Euglehagen, Ben King are all out of contract in 12 months. Yeah. So mm. what do they do
5: in 2024 is my question, Scotty. So that depends. So right now, if you could get one for next year, I would do it straight away. And I think they would too, but they're not able to do that. But in 12 months, your approach will depend on Van Royen and his success and Petty and what they do this okay, year.
6: Can I ask a question too then? If can I
5: ask two if you like, if, Tom.
6: If you are in this window right now and you are in the game to win a premiership right now before those players come yeah, in the try and be aggressive, months, yes. Why don't you offer something to one of or both Jack Rewalt and Tom Hawkins
5: to straighten you up? I don't think Jack – I wouldn't have Jack in my forward line ahead of Van Royen and Petty Yep, in that regard. So he's out. Tom Hawkins. Uh, Who says he would ever leave July? He might
6: not, but why would you not ask the question? He's yet to re-sign yet.
5: He can straighten you Mm -hmm. up. I think that's a good. You've got to be creative if you're in the window. Tom, of course you do, and I agree. I would ask the question, and I'm sure in fairness, because they're very good at it, Melbourne's list management team would have asked plenty of questions.
6: Mm. Yeah. Can we ever listen to Simon Goodwin after last year's semi-final loss? Just consider the similarities between what he said uh, on Friday night and what he said 12 months ago.
9: You know, we've ended up having 29 shots, if you include all the misses. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, and there's no doubt that's something we've got to continue to get better at. We've got to maximise the ability to use our ball, especially forward to centre, and impact the scoreboard more because we leave the door ajar too often. You know, I thought our first quarter, I thought we played some outstanding footy. You know, and we got ourselves in a position where we were dominating the game, but we weren't able to convert to the level that was required to really put enough pressure on the opposition. So that's an area. That's a vulnerability we've got to get better at. We put our hand up for that one. So that's a
6: vulnerability that's been on the table for 12 months, probably longer, but let's say 12 months.
3: Groundhog Day.
6: And yet they haven't been able to fix it. So it's not easy to fix. No, it's not easy. So, but they're acutely aware of it.
5: Yeah, yeah, no doubt. But you just can't go and pluck a million-dollar key forward. No. And th- that's right. Um And Van Royen could be that player, but it might not be that player in 2024. And I'm 100% with you that Mm. if you could go and find a million-dollar key forward that wanted to come next year, you'd do it. Because it might win you one or two that you don't otherwise get. Mm. Uh, If they can't, and it would be very hard to do, then they will back in a Petty and a Van Rooyen and hope that they progress next year that gives them that opportunity. Yeah, but every team has weaknesses, don't they? Like, someone leaves the door ajar, as Goody mentioned, based on other aspects of their game. It might be their contest. Port Adelaide, their backline. You know, that, that's what's cost them. Uh, there's no team that's perfect in every area.
7: Mm.
3: The Blues, though, are through to a preliminary yeah. final, which is pretty remarkable given where they were. Yes, Scotty?
5: Do you ask the question of Harry Mackay, if you're Melbourne? <laughs> long term contract.
3: Well just on Harry Mackay, obviously he didn't play on the weekend because of the concussion and Jack Martin the suspension. Mm. Do they both come back in? Jack Martin, you would say one hundred percent. Is Harry going to just walk straight back into that side?
6: You'd be a brave coach not to select yeah. Harry Mackay in that team. You'd yes. be a brave Yeah you have to select Harry Mackay, don't you? Yes. You have to. Yes. But if they don't, I would respect it hugely from Michael Voss. Yeah, because it's worked without him.
3: Well, how did they structure yeah. up without him? Tom Deconing went forward a few oh, times, didn't he? And he was yeah. he was quite lively. And... I
5: still think, though, Charlie, as brave as he was, was too easy a reference point for the Melbourne backs because he was a little bit one out, in a sense. So uh, we saw Lever dominate intercept marks, yeah. and then we saw May take over because of the predictability of where they were going. So Mackay helps that. I think Mackay and the team on Friday night – helps Charlie get a little bit more one-on-one opportunity t- without question.
6: Tough selection and bittersweet for Jack Silvani, who's actually fit to play but doesn't have yeah. the match fitness mm. under his belt. So difficult for him as well. And
5: he's been a little bit of vi- a victim too with the form. Oh, I think Tom DeConny has, has been excellent this second half mm. of the year. So, he when, resigned, really. yeah, so when Pitney and DeConning were sort of almost we will play one of them and because they're not giving us much up forward and Jack to help out – De Conning actually was so pivotal. To kick those first two goals against the run, Melbourne kicked the first three. De Conning, and that's what we mean taking moments. Mm. He nailed two set shots and he's not a recognised forward that gets them back into the game. And as Goody says, diminishes the dominance that Melbourne had. Were they three goals, three? Mm. It's never four, two or five, one or six straight, is it, where you crack them open? As he said, they leave the door ajar. And Carlton were really good in that regard. And they a real toughness that they were able to hang in. Several times when Melbourne got the run, yep. got domination of the game, never got it on the scoreboard, but Carlton didn't waver. They just hung in there, and then against the flow, they'd go bang, bang, back in the game. Sam
6: Walsh was incredible, and at his best, he could be a top three player in the in the competition. With his Dior mouthguard, Scotty, You're his manager, tell us, is, well, how <laughs> is what's he signed for?
5: Um... I'm not sure.
3: Really? Do you your mouth guard. I've it's never seen
6: this. No, no I, I know. I haven't either. He's done a deal separate to his. Ross Lined You.
5: Well, <laughs> but uh, Sam's very low key in that approach. Yeah. So we are keen to know more, Sam. I'm, a tr- I'm a <laughs> intrigued. Yes, yeah, so are we.
3: He was playing a designer brand of football, wasn't yeah. he, on oh. Friday night?
6: <laughs> yeah. Very good, Sarah. Thank yeah. you. Charlie, Charlie <laughs> Kernos one to mention Carlton have beaten Melbourne twice in six weeks. And on both occasions, Kernos had absolutely no influence, which is a good sign for the Blues.
5: But it's, a ref- it's more a reflection how both teams play. So if we- you listen to them talk about all I could, uh, Goody and Voss, Vossy were talking the same game. We base our game on contest and defense. So it was never going to be a high-scoring game, was it? Really. When you look at that, this week he needs to have a big game. Because if you look at the way, Melbourne were never going to kick 15, were they? No. I'm confident Brisbane are a, a <laughs> yeah. super chance to kick 15. So what do Carlton need to do? They need to find 16 or 17. Yeah, yeah. It's not – you will not keep them to 10. So don't worry about that. You can't win 10 goals to 11. you got to find 15 as a team, which goes to selection. Jack Martin and Mackay become more important because do they help you kick 15? Of course. Exactly. So the team that you play – also determines your matchups and your approach. They can't, they've got to have big contests. They've got to be defensively minded, but they need to be able to kick 15 or 16 because Brisbane are red hot, as we know up there.
3: This weekend, the football world is mourning the loss of Ronald Dale Barassi Hassaman played alongside him and he's going to join us next on Sunday Crunch Time.
2: You're listening to Crunch Time. Zito Power Tools. German design quality and innovation powering DIYers. All day, every day. Visit Berrick GWM Havel and test drive the GWM Canon CC, part of the Berwick Motor Group.
3: Welcome back to Sunday Crunch Time on a day where the football world is mourning the loss of an icon and an ornament to the game, Ronald Dale Barassi, passing away at age 87. Hassaman played alongside Ron Barassi and has been good enough to join us this morning on Crunch Time. Hassa, welcome.
4: Yeah, good morning. Oh, afternoon.
3: It is quite the legacy that he leaves behind Ron Barassi. What was he like?
4: Yeah, look, it's a sad day. For all of us, um, passing of Ron. Look, Ron was an outstanding footballer, as we all know. He was a champion teammate of mine for many, many years. He was a great individual, and above all, a terrific friend. And I just think how lucky was I to have played six years with Ron um, during those successful years at Melbourne, and uh, to not have him any longer is going to take a while to you know to accept. Hassan, we really
6: appreciate you coming on today to remember uh, Ronald Dale Barassi. Can I ask, as a footballer, I, clearly I wasn't lucky enough to see him play. I've only seen a few highlights.
4: What sort of player was he? Well, look, he was a he was a great competitor. And uh, and everything he confronted, really, was a competition for Ron. And he was a, a very inspirational individual, Um um, was very success-orientated. He was one of very few players in my career, or really, as long as I can remember, one of very few players that had the ability to change a game um, off his own boot. Um, the, the, the greater the challenge that he had, the better he would perform. And uh, invariably, when Norwood needed a spark, Um, Norm Smith would go to Ron Hmm. and uh, Ron, as I say, individually through an act, um, through a goal, through a smother, would provide that inspiration for the rest of the team to follow and he was just one out of the box.
6: And he was a five-time Premiership player by the age of 24, which when you sit back and think about it, it is absolutely remarkable. You mentioned Norm Smith. You saw... The relationship that he had with Brassy up close. Can you give us an insight into the way those two interacted together and and worked together?
4: Well, basically, he was almost brought up by by Norm. He lived with Norm for for many many years, and uh, but from a football perspective, he was really probably Norm's whipping boy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, at, at, at times that, that when. When Ron would get pinned to the wall for probably small acts that um, that, that was maybe a turnover, um, Norm would use those because he knew that he could, through Ron, get the reaction that he needed to get the team, run firing and get the team firing. Um, at times, you'd sit there at halftime and see Ron pinned to the wall over a as I say, a minor act. Um, and then after half time, uh, you know, he had been set alight in the way he would go. Hassell, he was
5: so successful to be able to play in uh, premierships at Melbourne, but then to go and coach in flags at two other clubs after that and have the ultimate success, very few have been able to do. Why do you think Ron was able to go and take that elsewhere and be equally as successful after a, a remarkable playing career?
4: Well, it was interesting when he was appointed coach of Carlton, which was a tremendous shock to us, the players, particularly after a premiership, um, and um, the hardest thing that Ron Wood uh, had to have done would be would be to tell Norm Smith that he was going to go coaching, he'd been appointed coach of Carlton, or approached to be coach of Carlton. A lot of people don't realise that Norm was prepared to stand aside for Ron to take over Coach Melbourne. But it wasn't surprising to us or to me particularly that uh, Ron, whilst he would have loved to Coach Melbourne, knew that to succeed, he had to go elsewhere to, uh, you know, to get that experience. And uh, um, how lucky we, were Carlton players... North Melbourne players and eventually Sydney players to uh, have have had the experience of uh, being part of Barassi's career.
5: Hassa, what sets him apart from perhaps other legends of that era? Because I think, and we're all that little bit younger, but if you were to say to us who is the name synonymous with our game, we would say Ron Barassi above many other players who have had equally as good a career's what is it about Ron that has him sitting at the top of the mountain in that regard?
4: Well, I, I was fortunate enough to play you know, a long time, as I said, with Melbourne, my first six years playing with Ron and, and being able to play when he was at his very, very best. Surprisingly, Barres only won two best and fairest with the club and I often wondered why that was but then when I stop and think Ron sets such an exceptionally high standard that he had to play an exceptional game to probably be considered um, in in the votes for the best and fairest. Barassi just loved the challenge. It just you just loved playing with him because new knew when the chips are down, Barash would be able to find something. And I guess the only person that probably challenged Ron um for being the top player was probably Ted Whitten. Mm. Both Ted and Ron um, had this uh, fierce determination, particularly when they played against each other, because there was always a question on who was perceived to be Mr Football. And um, I can recall one instance where we played footscray at the NCG and the, the media had sort of built up the Barassi-Whitten contest that was on, and I remember the ball going out of bounds on the member's side, in front of the member's stand, and the ball was thrown in, and there was a contest when the ball hit the ground. And these two titans came together, and the ball went forward.
7: Mm.
4: And it it was almost like no other player existed because these two, the ball kept going forward and they clashed, they separated, they clashed and the ball went forward and it basically went from in front of, or the half-forward flank in front of the member stand to the opposite half-forward flank and these two Titans had clashed about six or seven times um, and the ball went out of bounds Mm. and I can still recall both of them sort of stopped pretty much exhausted, (laughs) looking at each other as if to say, well, we proved nothing today. (laughs) I'll always always remember that incident. It was probably the most individual contest amongst, you know, two greats Mm. trying to prove a point. Well, Hassa,
3: thank you so much for joining us on Sunday Crunch Time on what is a really sad day, but we really appreciate your time.
4: Okay, thank you.
3: Hassa great Ma, star. who played alongside the great Ronald Dale Barassi. Just very quickly for Tyre Wright, you two. The prelims next week, Collingwood and the Giants, Brisbane and Carlton. Who gets through to the ground final?
5: Uh, Giants and Brisbane. Collingwood and Brisbane. Collingwood narrowly, though.
3: Giants
7: and Brisbane for me. We'll see you again on Sunday Crunch Time.